Hi, and welcome to Resilience Unraveled, a podcast about people with remarkable stories of resilience, as well as experts in the field, along with myself, who share tips, strategies, and resources to help you power up your mental well-being. You can support our work by leaving a review or donating on our site, which is at qedod.com. You can also purchase our resources, including the imaginatively titled series of books, Resilience Unraveled, Leadership Unraveled, Management Unraveled, and Anxiety Unraveled at qedod.com forward slash extras. Free resources are also available on that page at qedod.com forward slash extras. Enough chat, let's get started. Hey, and welcome back to Resilience Unraveled. And um, today there's a a beaming smile, a beaming face, a beaming person, generally someone beaming sitting in front of me. And it's Dr. Sharice Johnson. So hello, beaming person. How are you doing? Hello, sir. I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. I can tell by the accent that you're not of these shores. So where in the world are you? I am not of these shores. I am currently located in Charlotte, North Carolina, which is in the southeast of the U.S. We've just come back from there. We were in um, Charleston and Savannah. Oh, nice. My son, my 21-year-old son, goes to college in Charleston, and my sister lives in Savannah. So you've been near all my people. I I could have dropped in. Yeah. I've had a cup of tea. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. Well, tell us a little bit about what it is that you do. Yeah, you know, it's so funny. That's such a hard question. I do a million things. Um, I would say a million wife, a million, million, literally. Everyone would agree. I'm going to write them all down. Write them all down starting now. Um, wife, mother, those are two of the most important things to me. My husband and I will celebrate 25 years of marriage Mm, next month. Super excited about that. Have two kids. But aside from all of that, I'm a consultant on integrative mental health author, speaker, and a mindfulness practitioner. So I do a lot of somatic work. I'm yoga certified and a lot of meditation. Right. And I love every bit of it. Fantastic. Okay, then. Um, so let's put all that nonsense aside. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me, no, no, that's interesting. You've piqued my, you my curiosity. Integrative me- mental health. Tell me what that means. Yeah, so a lot of times when people feel like They don't feel well in terms of emotionally. They think, well, tell me how to make this one thing stop. How do I stop being anxious? And integrative mental health goes, we need to look at you as an entire system. So let's look at what's happening in your mind and your body. But specifically, I will look at all life domains. So what's happening for you spiritually, if that's something that is a part of your health house, physically, financially, socially, and emotionally because those are all integrative areas because I want people to recognize you're a system and what's happening for you here may be part of it. So you're not a sitcom. We can't solve you in 30 minutes or less. Mm. Or have uh, cheesy laughter. Now it's interesting you say that because it's been my experience as a psychologist. I've become more and more interested in the integrative side and Mm -hmm. for example, nutrition. And And I don't think we spend enough time thinking holistically about issues. You'll often find a sort of Freudian approach to analytical psychology, looking back to mental problems, you know, generated by your mother or your father or something, or it's attachment theory, or it's this or it's that. But actually just discover the person's not sleeping because they're not eating. Yeah, well, one of my primary specialties is eating disorders. So that is well within where I always take a person because what we eat often runs parallel to how we feel. 
yeah. in terms of the changes of our appetite or not recognizing that there are sometimes things that we take in and we don't realize how that's impacting us emotionally. Yeah. So I love for people to explore that and get that information. And you often find people conflate things like self-esteem and obesity. And now we know that we experienced obesity. We're like in the sense that we experience anxiety. We are not anxious. Yeah. We're not defined by the label of a yeah. condition we might be experiencing. And I think the sort of current work around mental health and and sort of distancing the condition from the from the cognitive aspect of the person is really important isn't it because actually if you're yeah. going to do somatic work and the mindfulness and all that sort of stuff it's yeah. it's important to realize that these conditions are conditions which we experience not to be right. defined by them right and what i love about the way that you coin it is i often tell people you know you're not broken that can be a concept they can feel like they've been dealing with a condition so long that it becomes a part of their identity. And I try to get them to conceptualize it more like um, a, a piece of baggage that you're carrying so that you can recognize that it is something that you can pull things out and eventually let down the bag. But that separation is crucial. And you know, one of the things that I try to help people understand is we all have the capacity to change, to shift yes. and to grow. It just takes work. And and that's then that's important, isn't it? And and I know you're going to talk a little bit later about your book and um and and this idea that we have mental patterns, cognitive rhythms, and all that sort of stuff, which we've which we've which have worked for us for a mm -hmm. period of time, mm -hmm. and they've been there to keep us safe, and they're just not working for us anymore. And it's that point yeah. about how do we move forward? How do we how do we sort of forgive yourself or you know be grateful for the past without? Yeah. Because I think part of the problem with self esteem is that we've used all these strategies to get where we are, and a lot of therapists yeah. have this approach that you have to be cruel to yourself to be able to move forward, and that doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, no, it doesn't make sense to me that you have to be cruel, but it is important for us to not hold ourselves to our current information. Like I see so many people who feel bad and get caught in shame and regret and low self-esteem, like you just mentioned, because they're thinking, well, why didn't I do that 10 years yeah. ago? Well, you didn't have that information. You didn't Correct. have that insight. You didn't have that knowledge. So forgive yourself for who you needed to be or become in order to survive. And then know that you can move forward and you don't need to pay penance. Yeah, that's it. And I think, you see, I think paying penance is a form of guilt, isn't it? So it mm -hmm. is. It is, yeah. as is a form of emotional self-abuse, isn't it? And I think a lot of people, yeah. I own therapy practice, the people are coming with their own scripts, which are, you know, which are a product from your childhood. But there comes a point, yeah. doesn't there, as a human mm -hmm. being or an adult with the right insight, the right skills, that you have to you have to become a that adult person and yes. and not and redefine yourself not as yeah. a victim of your childhood but as actually the sort of active participant in your adult life yeah but there's so many people that i believe don't view it as a victim they view it more as just a fact an mm. absolute and don't recognize you trying to do the same thing over and over that is no longer working is self punishment in a way and although it's scary because you don't have a picture of what it now means to operate as your adult self, on the other side of that fear is a really powerful experience, a very unique experience. And it just you know, starts with, you may not be able to rewrite the entire narrative, but just exchange a few words to start. Yeah. You know, Do something a, a little bit different than you would normally do and find your way there. Yes, interesting. Um, yeah, very interesting. So um, obviously I heard you mentioning mindfulness and such like and uh, meditation mm -hmm. and, you know, there's some of those things. Um, 
is this based on a sort of spiritual path or a or the sort of Buddhist tradition, or is it more of a sort of physical use of the toolkits, or do you have to have that spiritual approach linked in sure. to be able to use those things? Yeah, you don't have to have the spiritual path linked in to use those things. So I always start at the core with the physical embodiment practice of knowing what it means to just allow yourself to be present and sitting with non-judgment. What does that look like? How can I be curious about what I'm experiencing versus judging it? And then that's what's unique and beautiful about mindfulness and the practice of mindfulness. Then each person can decide, is the physical embodiment of this and slowing my neurotransmitters in my brain down enough for me? Or do I want to connect it to my preferred form of spirituality? And so that's where it becomes individualized. Yes. It is interesting that the role of belief is... Huge. Well, it's, it, yes, I was I was trying to think of the, the right word. I wasn't quite sure. It's rejuvenated. I think that was the word I was thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I wonder if you had any views on that. Because I, so I that, just wonder whether it's actually spiritual practice, which has actually rejuvenated some of those things. I'm not talking about organized yeah. religion. I'm talking about spirituality. Yeah. I, I mean, I definitely feel like belief is necessary and can be rejuvenating. But then if I'm honest... connecting it to spiritual practice will really depend on the experience of each person because I also come across people that some of the beliefs they have the shame and the guilt and the harm that they experience has been under organized practices of religion so it's it's helping people also go how do we deconstruct what you believe in the ways that have been harmful for you and the rejuvenation you know from my vantage point comes from you taking the autonomy to reconstruct a new version and you can keep the pieces that you identify with Mm -hmm. and then you can fill in the blanks where you need more room Mm. so you're extremely erudite and you've got you know it's interesting the way that you discourse and build your narratives but my understanding is that you didn't always have a voice what 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 does that mean on your website when i say yeah always didn't have a voice I grew up in the South um, as a a young Black woman and lived in predominantly white areas where it wasn't, what's the word, accepted to talk Mm. anyway as a child, (laughs) but then definitely not one that was of the minority nature. Um, I think specifically of a, a, not a random, a very unique story. I had a teacher in second grade and I will never forget her name. She's no longer alive. Her her name was Miss Moon. And I got in so much trouble for helping other students or correcting something that she may have written in the board by accident that was spelt wrong. And it was seen as indignant. It was seen as wrong. And that was a time where you could still spank. Spankings were allowed in school. So she takes me out into the hall and she goes, I am going to give you a spanking because you have been you know, an annoyance in the classroom and I'm seven, mind you. And I'm, I'm not proud of this, but it's me. And I just looked at her in the eyes and said, you will not spank me. My mother does not spank me. Um, Nothing that I did was wrong by helping another student who was sitting and crying because you were too busy. But long story short, the rest of the year when I didn't have work to do, I had to go sit in their principal's office because the only way that the teacher would continue to stay at the school is if she only had to quote unquote deal with me when yeah. um, I wasn't there. So that that's a big message, right? Yeah. Um, with no grace and 
yeah, people don't always love direct conversations or or just clear dialogue it's, from someone. No, and it's a fascinating conundrum, isn't it? Because at the moment, what we, we're facing, I don't know if you think, find this in your therapeutic world, we're facing a, a massive problem with parenting skills. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly, you know, we've got a steady stream of work for the next 5,000 years, given the parenting skills that we're we seeing. We do. Whoa, that's it, you know. The yeah, COVID, COVID wasn't the conspiracy of uh, <laughs> of the health industry. It was the mental health practitioners getting, getting very ready to have work forever. Um, but but joking, joking aside, but, but it's interesting how education has 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 moved backwards and forwards and children have become the victim of lots of different fads and such like i mean we're seeing what's going on at the moment you know watching with horror in the states of what's going on in some of your american schools at the moment the rewriting of history and such like and yeah and what's going on there around diversity and inclusion it's 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 quite bizarre how the politicization of education is such that it's 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 a challenge isn't it it's it's like how do kids learn? How do yeah. how do, how do you build spirituality? How do you build resilience in children who've effectively been um, almost uh, you know exposed to a form of cultism in yeah. their educational practice? It's quite challenging, well, isn't it? It's extremely challenging, and oh, it's so intricate. We could probably talk a whole another show for hours about it. Uh, it's interesting. It's sad. I you know there's a balance to being respectful. You know, but we've also gone through this season of, I believe we're now seeing the child-centered parenting kind of let them do what they want and not understanding that they are also living out of an impulsive brain. And the question you asked is, how do they learn? I don't believe that many of us know how to learn. You know, even as adults, one of the most basic questions that I continue to get from people when I might share about moving through a situation is, but how? We're so used to being given information or told what to do or cultized into just let me follow under this that we don't know how to make decisions. We don't know how to analyze information. Um, we're easily manipulated. So it's extremely challenging. Yeah. And, and, it, and, I, don't th- and I think it's even deeper than learning. I don't think we know how to think. Yeah. I think we've lost the rigor. I mean, decision sciences used to be a subject. Yeah. Um, and now it's not. You know, we used to have in this country, we used to have a fine tradition of debating. And one of the yeah. things about debating that was so powerful is that you used to get a subject to 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 work on. I remember. Yeah. Yeah. And you didn't know which side you were on. So you had to yeah. prepare both. So you had to see both sides yeah. of the argument. And that doesn't happen anymore. And the very nature of social media and the way that, um, you know, that uh, cesspit works now in, in yeah. certain ways is that we're just we're just indoctrinating kids. So how do we yeah. build? How do we build that resilience in kids? How do we build? And do we actually have to wait until they're adults so they can they can sort of see the light for themselves almost? Yeah, so I'll say two things. One, I I definitely don't believe that we can wait until we're adults because those early formative years are crucial. Um, Now, if we didn't get it, then it's it's helpful to still work on that process. I have a probably completely counterculture concept around resilience. I believe, I understand the concept of resilience, but I also don't necessarily believe in resilience, because I also think there's a lot of individuals who have a situational form of what appears to be resilience, which means they know how to navigate a chaotic dynamic and seem like 
they are resilient against it. But what's happening on the outside and what's happening on the inside are two different things. Or if we think about the concept of those that are marginalized for multiple different reasons, they have a forced sense of resilience that really is more oppression than it is resilience. They've just had to toughen up in order to survive all of these spaces that have not acknowledged them for their differences. So I think it's one of those words that we have to look at with different nuances. But if we can teach that, yes, while our children are young, it allows them to get back to thinking, to separating, to not comparing, to looking at things from two different angles. And I believe keeping them off of social media as much as possible is a big part of that because it's overwhelming. You see, I think everything you've just described there is resilience. (laughs) <laughs> because it's all part of it because yes there's a sort of traditional thing is about weathering the storm and coping and it's also about you know when you fall apart that like you can come back but yeah. in order to do those things you've got to have accountability you've got to learn you've got to build self-awareness self-acceptance self-esteem self-worth you've got to have that for the journey mm-hmm. and and i think the challenge here is that in organizational terms um the organization is constructed to get people to burn out and what they do mm-hmm. is they get they come to people like me and probably you and say get yeah. our people to be more resilient and i'll start off by saying no you fix your processes first because that's the thing that's wearing it what's the point in Accurate. building them up to resilient and Accurate. but you're actually testing it every day you know change your organization because that's yeah. the problem and yeah. of course once you say that it's quite a shocker for a lot of people because there's a lot of leaders managers sort of don't think they're people they think there's something something else and they don't seem to realize that there is you know isn't it peculiar you know the sales director who runs a eight hour sales meeting and everyone's bored stiff but the sales director is having a lovely time you know Mm -hmm. you know you're the problem I mean every single organization I've ever worked with when I had you know the leadership team hires me it's always the leadership problem team that's the problem I bet you find the same thing Oh, I find it all the time. About 50% of the work that I do is in corporations and nonprofits and organizations looking at their processes and struggle, you know, structures to go, are you truly willing to change the processes and the way things are systemically designed so that the people who work for you that you want to keep around don't have to be resilient in order to stay? You know, ideally, we don't want to go through life and feel like we have to constantly be forming skills in order to navigate it. To me, one of the most basic definitions of of healing or health is living a life that I don't have to escape, whether that's personally or professionally. Now, that's interesting, you see, because you you definitely have a, or you appear, if I may be so bold, to see see (laughs) resilience as a sort of a negative thing. And Mm -hmm. I would say that the old idea, Chemanovsky's idea of flow, is part of resilience. That's that thing where you're at your level of capability right against the edge and you're really yeah. maximizing your potential and you're having a really brilliant time. That for me is resilience. That's what it yeah. feels like. Now, what we know is that you can't sustain that. Mm-hmm. That's the problem. You know, it's like everything's like stress, isn't it? Stress is a normal natural function, which actually yeah. it goes from you stress to distress. And that and that and that's the point, isn't it? It's knowing your own tipping point and it's knowing sure. And that's the problem where organizational processes go wrong because we have this sort of hero culture. And especially for women, I think, these days, yeah. there's this implication that you can't just be yourselves. You've somehow got yeah. to be um, mini men. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so so for me, I like the... I, I mean, obviously, I like resilience. And, and we're maybe arguing about semantics uh, and, and it doesn't really matter. But um, I, um, I do think it's... A, I do think it's... Everything you're saying is a positive endorsement of resilience at the same time going, oh, I'm not sure about yeah. it. No, so, it definitely it's not. A I'm going to take it as I'm going to take it as a win. I'm just saying. Yes, you can 
can take it. We are, you can take it. Competitive. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's totally fine. It's not so much that I think resilience is negative. I think the way resilience is often semantically conceptualized doesn't look at the group of people who are forced to be resilient or the level of trauma that they experience while developing it, right? Like there's elements of resilience that I'll use myself that I have had to develop in order to survive that has also come at a cost of, and here's all of these traumas that you have to continue to heal from the flow. And I don't often hear that in the conversation or it makes resilience seem like this beautiful thing that doesn't look at the cost of fighting for that flow and those who are given their space to flow easily and those who have to flow over rocks and through crevices and through tributaries in order to get to open waters. I mean, someone should write a book about that process. Ah, (laughs) that's my new book. How who you? Yeah. And now having segued neatly from my new book to your new book, (laughs) tell us a little bit about your new book. Yeah. So expired mindsets, releasing patterns that no longer serves you well you know, really speaks so much of what we're talking about, how to look at where there's been different parts of our life. And we have operated off of certain belief systems, thoughts, and patterns. And now we've hit a place that we realize this is no longer working the way it once did. And how do I create new language? How do I create new patterns? And how do I choose to release the parts of me that are still attached to my old ways? I, um, yeah, you probably noticed that um, I'm slightly distracted because I'm just on Amazon looking at 102 almost universally five star reviews. My goodness, what's going on? You've got some <laughs> publicity machine, or it's a really brilliant book. I'm going to have to buy this one now. Yeah, I hope it's because it's a really brilliant book. You know, it is. it is definitely not a textbook. It is very, I feel like, engaging and inclusive. I tried to make it where. Everyone could see themselves in it. It includes mindfulness. It includes opportunities to reflect. And it talks about just what you said, rewriting your narrative and how do you change the language and words that fit your country, your geographic location, how you would speak to yourself. Um, I'm not a big proponent of say these words because those words may not fit your story. Mm. That's amazing. Okay, so it's expired mindsets, releasing patterns that no longer serve you. Where, well, I've just said it's available on Amazon. Where else is it available, Cherise? Yeah, so Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Audible. Um, I actually did the voice part for the book myself. So that's also an option for people who don't want a physical book. And of course, there's an ebook and all the good things. Or you can go to my website, which is drcharice.com and find out about it and all the other tools and resources available there. And are you a social media person? I am. So I am most active on Instagram. So that's dr.sharice underscore J and Sharice is spelled C-H-A-R-R-Y-S-E. But I will warn everyone, if you come to my Instagram page, be ready because I am not your run-of-the-mill person. I am very fun and open and direct and educational and a little bit of everything. So it's quite an experience. I'm just looking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Take a look. You'll be like, okay. Well, I mean, she was you, not- you, you might be saying I'm a, I'm a man. I shouldn't be multitasking, but you know, um, I, I'm, I'm, just, I'm, being, I'm just being honest. I'm just being I'm, honest. I'm impressed. 
as I, as I, as I, there's a huge pause as I sort of consider yeah. what I'm saying in front of me. That's brilliant. Well, look, absolutely fantastic. Lovely to talk to you today. Expired Mindsets is the book. Dr. Charisse, C-H-A-R-R-Y-S-E, is the, the, is the um, website and all that sort of jazz. And it's been an absolute joy to talk to you today. And all I can do is wish you good resilience <laughs> of the positive, of the positive version. It has been a pleasure having me. Thank you so much. I will continue to work on my flow. I will accept that part of resilience. You take care. Hi, thanks for listening. Hopefully that was a useful and interesting episode. As I said earlier, you can support our work by leaving a review, which does drive enhanced exposure. Or you can donate on our site, which is at qedod.com. You can purchase our series of books all about unraveling resilience, leadership, management, and anxiety at qedod.com forward slash extras, along with some other free resources available on the site. We've also got a Patreon page, and you, of course, can send us questions, ideas, thoughts, conversations, and fresh subjects at info at qedod.com. Hopefully there's something there for you. Catch you next time around.